Happy New Year, everybody. We'll get to some new episodes starting next week. But in the meantime, I wanted to revisit a conversation I had back in 2018 with Lucy Bassley. She and I spoke about all the different players in the modern legal ecosystem. Since Lucy and I spoke, she changed the name of her company from Legal Inno Services to the Inno Law Group. She made the change because although her company offers legal operations consulting, she still practices law. In a nutshell, the Inno Legal Group helps corporate legal teams reimagine how they do things, mostly their contracts. All right. Let's get to my talk with Lucy Bassley about the modern legal ecosystem. The attorney's job is still to deliver that legal advice from the law firm. They don't need to be process experts. They don't need to be uh, green belts and Six Sigma. They don't need to know how to architect solutions, but they need to know when to bring in all those people who know how to do that other stuff. Let's just call it other stuff for lack of a better word, because that's the only way they will improve and enhance the engagement experience with the in-house team that's moving at a faster pace than ever before, and that pace will only get faster. I'm Chad Main, and this is Technically Legal, a podcast about the intersection of technology and the practice of law, where each week we'll talk to a different mover or shaker in the legal and technology field. We'll learn a little about them, what they've been up to, and hopefully get some real-world tips that will help lawyers better use technology in their legal practices. For episode 11, we talked to attorney Lucy Bassley about the modern legal ecosystem and what it means to be a unicorn lawyer. Lucy recently left the legal department at Microsoft, where she served as associate general counsel. When she left, she founded a consultancy and law firm called Inno Legal Services. Lucy also splits her time with contract automation company Law Geeks, where she serves as chief legal strategist. Also in this episode, for all you intellectual property lawyers, we talked to Nihal Madani about the company he founded, Alt Legal, which is a docking system for intellectual property matters. I was pretty excited to land Lucy as a guest for the podcast. The first time I heard Lucy speak was last year at the Clock Annual Conference. CLOCK stands for Corporate Legal Operations Consortium, and among other events, it has an annual meeting once a year. For the last couple of years, the annual U.S. meeting has been in Las Vegas. If you're in legal operations or just want to learn more about legal ops, I highly recommend you looking into CLOCK. When I heard Lucy speak at CLOCK last year, she was still in-house at Microsoft, where she was responsible for a bunch of things, including implementation of the legal department's contract management system. She was on the panel with a bunch of other legal ops bigwigs, and the topic was on how to really change the way the legal industry does its work. On the panel that day, Lucy said something that really resonated with me. She said that for modern lawyers to really do a good job and deliver value to their clients, they're going to have to embrace and work with others who are not lawyers, but have other very valuable and important skill sets. I think there's another fundamental shift that needs to happen. I think those few practicing attorneys who are in here, those of you who are recovering attorneys, don't hide it. We need to embrace all of the other professionals that are in this ecosystem because without them, we will not be able to move the dial. Okay? That is a, that is a, that is, that's a fact. I did no research. I have no backing, (laughs) but you're going to have to trust me on this. Right? It is a fact that we cannot continue to function in our lawyer versus non-lawyer, who hates that word, world. So what is the legal services ecosystem? It's a group of various key players that serve the needs of legal clients. Some of these players provide what we would consider traditional legal services, but others, they provide very important legal-related ancillary services. As with most industries, you got to have regulations, and that's where Lucy thinks the legal ecosystem starts. On a side note, and by complete coincidence, Lucy is writing a series of articles about the various players in the legal ecosystem. I'll throw up a link to those articles on the episode page for this episode, episode 11, on tlpodcast.com. 
I think there are a, a number of key players that together make up this ecosystem, which is very um, gently and sometimes not gently kind of disrupting each other and, and forcing each other to, to change and try new things. So if you just kind of go along the cycle of ecosystem or spectrum, however you want to look at it, there are certain regulations, of course. So there's you know, a regulatory body or sets of sets of rules by which attorneys have to practice within the, the U.S. And I'm, let's just focus on the U.S. because if we go outside, it becomes even more complex. But in the U.S., we know we have 50 states and each of those 50 states has their set of governing rules of how lawyers uh, should practice. And it just addresses lawyers. But what it does is create really the boundaries of the practice of law and at the same time, the confinement of the practice of law and keeping others out. That's one key player. I didn't really think about it until my conversation with Lucy, but another key group of players in this modern legal ecosystem are industry and trade groups, like the one I mentioned before, Clock. Another key player that um, is certainly becoming more and more notable and, and uh, listened to, I think, uh, are the industry groups, whether it is Clock, that, um, the one you just referenced, or um, Association of Corporate Counsel. They have a legal operations group now. Um, there's more and more happening at the ABA and the Law Practice Management Division, uh, or even parts of the Association of Corporate Counsel that aren't legal operations. Uh, all of these, whether it's legal operations as a general umbrella, or law practice management concepts, uh, these professionals or the attorneys who are taking on these new roles, they're all coming together at a greater pace than ever before. And they're forcing conversations and sharing practices and ideas that is also kind of overflowing into impacting um, the service providers that are part of the ecosystem. And now we get to the group of players in the legal ecosystem that are very near and dear to my heart, the service providers. Service providers can be law firms, they can be tech companies, or they can be alternative legal service providers. The first two are probably familiar to you and exactly what you think they are. But the latter, alternative legal service providers, or sometimes known as legal process outsourcers or LPOs, are fairly new to the legal industry. They are companies like the one I found a percipient that work with lawyers and their clients to accomplish important tasks that may or may not be viewed as traditional legal work, but work that is, without question, very important and necessary to getting modern legal work done. So shifting to the service providers, there are a couple of key buckets there. One, of course, are the law firms. Two will be the legal tech service providers. Uh, three will be the uh, alternative or legal service providers or legal process outsourcers or legal services companies, or there's a lot of names, one of which I will disagree with. I, I hear, I think, law company out there a little bit now. I don't think they actually are doing law. I think they're doing services, uh, but I digress. Um, and then uh, the last one that I'm kind of giving it a, uh, its own category, although I'm not sure I'm not sure it does need one, but I think it's starting to become one uh, are the big four. Um, they, they are who they are. They don't need naming or listing, and they are a key player right now uh, in the ecosystem. Last but not least, in our tour of the legal ecosystem, we run into the legal departments and law schools, the purchasers of legal services, and the educator of lawyers. And then, of course, we have two other key constituents in the ecosystem, one being the corporate legal departments, which are the procurers of the services from uh, those groups that we just listed. And then finally, we have, of course, law schools. As you can see, this is a chicken and egg cycle. I uh, don't know where it starts and we don't know where it ends, but all of those players are impacting each other. And actually, I just 
launched a series of articles um, through Thomson Reuters and their Legal Executive Institute that looks a little bit deeper into each one of those because it is kind of a fascinating time we're living in and, and, and all these new players working together and some of the old players that are feeling the pressure to, to change how they play the game. Before I got to Lucy's take on why it's important for all members of the legal ecosystem to work together, I wanted to talk to her a little more about the impact the Big Four will have and are currently having on the legal market. As the Big Four try to claim their piece of the legal services pie, they're kind of a good example of how and why lawyers must work with other disciplines to provide true value to clients. They, like the uh, legal services companies or the alternative legal service providers, whatever um, is best name for the, the those growing companies, like them, they're pushing the envelope on the definition of the practice of law in the U.S. for sure, because again, we have some boundaries that are pretty clear and finite on the one hand. On the other hand, there is a spectrum of work that lawyers do that many are arguing really isn't the practice of law and that you don't need a license to do. If you don't need a license, you are probably a lower cost resource, which is why the alternative legal providers have done so well in the last decade plus. The big four have picked up on that very quickly. So they have their own uh, legal services that they're providing that are, again, not the practice of law in the U.S., but very, very close. But in addition to that, what they have, what their bread and butter has been for so long is uh, fantastic uh, management consulting skills, something that the ALSPs are now doing and adding and have been uh, developing. But the big four, that was an inherent in who they are and, and what they're good at. And they already have contacts into all of the major corporations. And I, and I do mean all. Every major corporation is using one of the big four for something. Uh, in addition to that, the amount of, uh, of marketing resources that they have and, and how they do their marketing uh, goes well beyond any alternative legal service provider or law firm. And layered on top of that um, are the resources that they spend on R&D. They have significant budgets for R&D. So if you put all of that together, they're kind of finally approaching the sleeping giant of legal that they hadn't approached maybe for, for some time. And it was kind of safe for law firms to have the, the lion's share of the work as the ALSP started to grow and, and eat away at some of that law firm work. But uh, more so the ALSPs, alternative providers, were, were really going after the in-house work that was still not being sent to firms, but really burying the in-house lawyers. That was their sweet spot. Law firms continued in their same sweet spot that's been historic and the same for, gosh, decades. And in comes this new entrant that's bringing in very highly skilled attorneys who actually aren't practicing law, but have the benefits of being with a very reputable and prestigious um, firm, one of the big four, bringing in a variety of other skill sets from their consulting side of the house, from their solutions architects, experts, throwing on top of that R&D resourcing, throwing on top of that good marketing. And there's this whole mix that they have put together that's very natural to them, but it's newer to legal. So I see them as a really big threat. They're a more direct threat in the U.S. as they start to um, open up these kind of relation, special relationships with a law firm where they, again, aren't practicing law, but they're engaged with a law firm of some sort. Uh, and these other nuanced and, and creative, um, you know, corporate entities and structures where they're still within the rules of, of not getting into the unauthorized practice of law in the U.S., but finding ways to deliver a service that is very close. So they are a uniquely positioned 
uh, set of resources, each one uh, that bring together, I think, the best of what the ALSPs, uh, the law firms, and the legal tech providers have. So now that we've discussed all the various players in the legal ecosystem, we get to the why, why they should all want to and why they should work together. As Lucy explains, it boils down to increasing the value lawyers provide their clients, bettering the client experience, helping clients further business goals based on the legal advice they receive from their lawyers, and also it helps lawyers and clients actually implement the legal advice they receive from lawyers. It's this latter part, the implementation, where a lot of other players in the legal ecosystem can really help attorneys. Law firm lawyers, they they need to expand the horizons of the value that they're offering. At the end of the day, the value can't continue to be that I'm the best litigator or I'm the best uh, negotiator of contracts or uh, you, you name it, right? I'm a regulatory expert because there, are, there there's more needed from the in-house corporate legal departments than that anymore. Uh, the complexities that companies are dealing with and the complexities that then the legal teams in-house are dealing with require different sets of skills beyond just the traditional legal subject matter experts. Receiving legal advice alone isn't enough to solve the problem that the in-house legal team is dealing with. Okay, For example, in a regulatory environment, simply saying, yes, D- GDPR is coming and here it is and here's a 80-page memo on GDPR, that gets handed off from a law firm at a very high price point to an in-house legal team. The in-house legal team then has to figure out what does this mean for their business, for their corporation, who's their main and only client. That disconnect uh, is no longer going to be acceptable going forward as the, cr- the the pressure on the in-house team to move at a faster pace where they're not going to have necessarily the time to uh, continue to uh, assess and debate the kind of the, the pure legal concepts. But really, it's all about applying it to a business goal. The, the, it's the business that needs to accomplish something. And without the help of the business and all of the different skill sets that the business brings with them, for the lawyer, it's going to be very hard to really connect between the great legal advice, expensive legal advice they received from a law firm, and then the business goal that they're there to serve at the company in which they work. So why are these other professionals necessary? Two reasons. One, other types of skill sets are needed to help the engagement between the law firms and the in-house legal departments be more effective. And that's the how. That is moving away from the ping pong of, I have a question, I'm going to send it to a firm, a firm's going to answer my question, then they'll send me a bill, I'm going to pay the bill, and then we're done. So that engagement, that back and forth, can only be improved with the help of people who understand how to use uh, smarter, better collaboration tools, uh, with people who can really dive into that process of engaging each other and help optimize the process to move faster, to move smoother, to access information and data more readily so that you're not waiting. Technology can play a big role, but again, you need people who can bring to light some of these different options because the attorney's job is still to deliver that legal advice from the law firm. They don't need to be process experts. They don't need to be uh, green belts and Six Sigma. They don't need to know how to architect solutions, but they need to know when to bring in all those people who know how to do that other stuff. Let's just call it other stuff for lack of a better word, because that's the only way they will improve and enhance the engagement experience with the in-house team that's moving at a faster pace than ever before, and that pace will only get faster. 
right? It is, the pace is never as slow as it is today because it'll always continue to get faster. So that's one main reason that you need all these other professionals is the how of the engagement has got to evolve and to become more modern, faster, more efficient, more immediate access to information, immediate access to, to data and answers. The, the other end of the spectrum, uh, why you need these other professionals, is really goes to the core of, of the what is being delivered. That legal advice then needs to be consumed in a business setting. Engaging people who have experience with the running of the business itself, of the company, of the corporation, of that client, uh, can really help move that advice from, again, a nice piece of kind of legal theory and accurate legal theory into something actionable. And oftentimes, it's then the lawyers in-house that are finding that they need to engage other professionals. And maybe it's from their quote-unquote client group in the business, or maybe there are people within the legal department that have now been brought in who are more closely connected to the business itself. So let's move away from the, the why and talk about a different how. How you get buy-in either at your law firm or at your, your corporate law department. You were at Microsoft for a long time. You instituted some of these changes there. How did you do it? What was your experience there? So I'm a big, big fan of um, a kind of small wins along the way. Uh, it's it's great to get supporters, sponsors, and fans uh, along the way. So in my case, my experience was that when I could demonstrate a value for that attorney whose job I'm trying to change or impact, influence in a positive way, I hope, it's to work with them in a way that they see that value and then become part of the solution. So my specific experience was in um, contracting. Every company has contracts. Every company has too many. This is a job security for every transactional lawyer. There's always going to be contracts. And how do we, as a company, no matter where you are in-house, how do you do them a little bit faster, a little bit more efficient? How do you take some smart risks? And what I realized is, to the extent, of course, I had control of that work, it was very easy because I just had to convince myself. Uh, but to the extent I was working with and collaborating with other attorneys across the department, it was critical to show them the value and the benefits of embracing the change. They weren't the ones that had to you know, engage with, with new, different professionals and, and incorporate different skill sets into their day job. I was kind of doing that on their behalf. I just needed to get their buy-in. So the, the best way is to show real value. And usually the value for most attorneys is, of course, time savings. Everybody's buried. And that's the first complaint you hear. What we underestimate is the quiet um, wave of resistance from those attorneys who like being buried. They, they like having the work they have on their desk. They feel comfortable with it. And changing it by encouraging them to move to more complicated work actually may not be perceived as a value add. So one on the one hand, you're, you're working to demonstrate the value and get people to come along. Um, on the other hand, you have to really understand and be certain that what you perceive as value is also perceived as value by the person whom you're trying to convince. And I think that uh, functioning on you know, assumptions or, or presumptions it can be a little bit dangerous. So that's, that's the kind of flip side of, of, that, of that coin. But that's it. That's the, the best answer is get Get sponsors and, and uh, believers to come along with you early on by identifying wins, by demonstrating the change, by demonstrating the, the value of using these alternative you know, sets of skills that are, that are out there and, and available. 
We're going to step away from our chat with Lucy for just a few minutes. It's now time for the segment where we sit down and talk with a legal founder. Today, we're talking to Nihal Madani, the founder of Alt Legal. If you work in a legal practice that does anything with intellectual property, like with trademarks or patents, Alt Legal just may be an app you want to check out. So, Nihal, thanks for being with us today. Tell us a little bit about Alt Legal. Sure. So, Alt Legal's cloud based IP docketing software. And so, for those who aren't IP lawyers, what we do is we help law firms and in house legal departments create new IP filings by getting all the information needed for them, automatically create them on government filing websites. And then the worst and most tedious part for any IP lawyer is tracking these deadlines. And so our software will automatically connect to government databases, identify their filings, and then calculate their filing deadlines for them so they don't have to do things manually anymore. And it connects directly to the attorney's calendar, is that right? That's right. So it will take all that information. Once we calculate these deadlines, we'll send them alerts automatically by email. We'll tell them about any changes that happened to their IP filings. And then we'll take all that information and plug it into their calendars as well. And so for a lot of IP professionals, whether you're in-house or at a law firm, it essentially provides some of the functionality that would traditionally be done by a docketing clerk or IP paralegal. And for the docketing clerks and IP paralegals, they don't have to do input data manually and worry about mistyping a four and when it was supposed to be a three, anything like that. And so it's something that's po- made possible with you know data, electronic filings, and then smart algorithms. And I know in a prior life, you were actually a practicing attorney, but before we started today, we were talking a little bit, and it come to find out the inspiration for Alt Legal was not from your practice of law, but, but something else. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So I started my legal career at Kirkland Ellis in the New York City office, and having graduated law school in 2009, there weren't too many other opportunities available. So I started in the restructuring group at Kirkland. And so did chapter 11 reorgs in 2009. There was plenty of it to go around. So did that for about five years. I left, started building one legal tech business, which was at the time a marketplace connecting lawyers and businesses together so that they could find each other and you know work together with less friction in that transaction. And along the way, I ended up doing my own IP work And I found that whole process to be so cumbersome, so manual, so ripe with errors that I shut down the legal marketplace, um, recruited IP Paralegal to join me, and the two of us started building IP docketing software. So it wasn't something I'd traditionally known about, but once I saw how things were being done, it just seemed ripe for automation and ripe for um, using data. I think I saw somewhere, too, that you actually taught yourself to code. Is that right? I did. So back in 2009, actually in no, 2013, social network had just come out. Everyone with any kind of business mindset thought all they needed was a technical guy or gal, and they could just build the next Facebook or any billion dollar business. And so I wasn't able to really recruit anyone. So more out of necessity, I just said, you know, if I'm going to be building a tech business, I have to know the fundamentals. I have to be able to do this myself. So read a lot of online tutorials and just started building and probably hit my head on the desk quite a few times and eventually it all came together. Well, kudos to you. That, that's great. So tell us who is Alt Legal for? It looks like it's for pretty much uh, any IP attorney out there. Is that right? That's right. Um, so our customers today range from solos to AMLA law firms, from you know a privately held company to some of the largest publicly traded corporations in the country. So we've been able to kind of serve all ends of the market. But for us, you know, a lot of our outreach, a lot of our focus is on, you know, smaller organizations just because it's an easier sales process. But really, any IP attorney that is managing a good number of trademarks, 
would really benefit from our software and make sure that they don't miss any deadlines, subject themselves to malpractice, or you know, worse, lose the trademark. So last but not least, tell everybody where they can learn more about Alt Legal. You can find us at www.altlegal.com. You can engage with our team right there through our live chat. And you can also find us on Twitter at AltLegalHQ and reach me at Nahal, N-E-H-A-L, at altlegal.com. Okay, let's get back to our conversation with Lucy Bassley. As noted at the beginning of the podcast, Lucy recently left her position in the legal department of Microsoft and launched Inno Legal Services. So to use modern parlance, she pivoted from one position in the legal ecosystem to another, from in-house lawyer or consumer of legal services to an advisor to legal departments and lawyers and how they should deliver and consume legal services. It's a law firm and consultancy. And interestingly enough, I, I the reaction is quite different depending on who I say that to. On the one hand, attorneys are immediately perplexed. Well, which one is it? And I say both. Well, how? Very simple. Under the umbrella of a law firm, I could provide all the consulting services I want. But the reverse is absolutely not true, number one. Number two, perception. In dealing with attorneys, it's very important that they understand that I am not a recovering lawyer who's moved from the practice of law into legal operations. Because the minute in an attorney's mind that shift has happened, I am now outside of the box. I'm in a different bucket. And that goes back to my original concept of this whole lawyer, non-lawyer, right? And it's interesting, and that's a, that is a 100% uh, proven reaction um, that, that attorneys go through. So as I was thinking about the work I want to do, which is definitely consulting with law firms and legal departments on how they either deliver or receive legal services, there is an aspect of it where I want to provide what is a traditional kind of legal advisory role, legal advice, especially when it comes to risk. So much of change in the legal ecosystem has to do with attorneys accepting risk, understanding risk, taking risks, uh, being comfortable with risks. And that is a very uh, bright line for most attorneys of whom they'll entrust to provide them guidance on that. And so by by continuing to be practicing attorney with a law firm, I can provide legal advice to the extent it enables a better consultancy experience for, for, for the client I'm dealing with. So I had to ask Lucy, what was her motivation for leaving the security of a very coveted position in the legal department of one of the world's largest tech companies for the great unknown of entrepreneurship? And she had a great answer. It's because she's a unicorn lawyer. At a metaphysical level, it was, wow, I've been doing this thing for a long time. I'm super comfortable. I love what I do. I love my company. But is there another calling for me? You know, very kind of go through this thing in your in your career stages, I guess, in, in life on the one hand. On the other hand, I was seeing a need in, in the industry for people like me. Um, I'm going to call it, I'm, I'm going to say it, right? It's these kind of freakish lawyers where I'm going to lovingly refer to us as unicorns, where they, these mystical lawyer creatures who love the practice of law, love being an attorney, but really appreciate and enjoy the operational aspects, again, the how of being an attorney. So if I'm tasked with handling hundreds or thousands of contracts as a lawyer, negotiating them, having a team of people who negotiate those, why wouldn't I want to do it in a more creative, efficient way where I optimize on process and I use technology and I think about systems? And I think for me, that combination of both is what I enjoyed the most in in my job. And at some point, it felt like others needed that same help. Since leaving Microsoft, Lucy actually spends part of her time on Inno Legal Services. Another reason she left Microsoft is because she wanted to get involved in the excitement and challenges of working for a startup. 
So when she's not consulting others on legal ops, she serves as chief legal strategist for Law Geeks, a legal tech company that helps out with contract review automation. As part of my metaphysical uh, or, or philosophical search for the next kind of career move, I really had this desire uh, to work within a startup environment. I felt like that was an energy that I kind of was missing and really needed to experience in my career at some point. Uh, and so enter Law Geeks, that was just right up my alley, using the latest artificial intelligence and automating contract review, which is was my day job, reviewing contracts and managing a team of humans that did that. Um, it just seemed like what, what an amazing uh, logical connection for me. And then in talking with them, you know, we realized that that was the right combination of, of time and skills was for me to help them at this kind of more, you know, higher level strategic role where I can help influence their marketing strategy, their sales strategy, their product roadmap, um, help engage with customers, help really consult with customers too, because as we're noticing, and as you know, I'm sure all the unicorn lawyers know. Got to understand your people and your processes before you start getting into technology. And uh, I, I like being able to play that role as well and help provide some best practice and tips to their, to their customer. So as I was preparing for my interview with Lucy, I read a bunch of articles she wrote and listened to a couple other podcasts she did. And in one of those podcasts, she discussed her belief that if legal is really going to change, it's incumbent on younger lawyers to help drive this change. So I wanted to ask her about it. The changes happening in the legal industry has got to come from kind of the up-and-coming uh, future leaders of legal. There are a lot of current leaders who understand that something's brewing around them, but they're also quite comfortable. Uh, they're comfortable financially. I mean, we see the reports, right? We see the AMLAW reports. And the incentive to change is certainly not a financial incentive. The only incentive to change right now is really coming from uh, the clients and to the extent the clients are, are demanding change. For anybody who's looking at the future coming their way, the associates, the junior partners are the ones who are going to be carrying this, their firm, their organizations. And the demand of change from the clients, plus with just the evolution of the legal services market because of all these other players that I mentioned before, the law firm is going to have to look different. So I am looking to these associates who are also graduating at a time where they're used to instant access to information. They're used to different work-life balance. They have different career goals than becoming the next big partner in the big corner office. They're used to, of course, technology. It's in every part of their lives. And then they get to a law firm and it just feels like a step back in time still. So I, I really do feel like it's going to be the 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 future leaders, let's call them. I don't like calling it generational, but it's it's really the future leaders of the firms that I think need to show that initiative. Uh, and it's hard, but they need to share their ideas. They have them. I just hope they're not shying away from sharing them. I don't want to sound too cynical, but they will receive pushback from other lawyers, at the, yeah, partners, other lawyers at the firm. You and I both practice in law firms. What is your advice to an associate that has an idea? Hey, let's, uh, let's improve our process to you know handle discovery or handle this transactional matter. What is your advice to them to try to get to change people's minds? You know, my, my advice is, um, it, it's simple. It's, it's find the partner who's going to listen. Find the one that when you mention this, uh, don't roll their eyes, don't blow you off, don't, don't, don't ignore you. Um, they're out there. I, I promise that at every firm, there, there is somebody like that and, and maybe a group of people like that. So you have to find them. Don't waste your breath trying to convince somebody who isn't interested. And you can tell pretty quickly. So they're out there. You just have to do a little bit of homework and it may not be in your own practice group. 
It may not be the people you engage with on a daily basis. But once you find somebody like that, turn them into a champion, you know, and pitch something. Pitch, pitch an idea. Even better so, and, and this is a harder one for associates to do, but to the extent they have really good direct client engagement and client contact, talk about it with a client. If you haven't figured out by now, Lucy has vast knowledge and experience in legal service delivery and is more than willing to share it with others. In fact, I've got good news for you if you want her to share it with you directly. She's an instructor at the Institute on Legal Innovation and Technology at Suffolk University Law School. A couple episodes ago, I talked to the head of that program at Suffolk, Gabriel Tenenbaum, about all the cool stuff they're doing there. So if you want to learn more about the school and the program, I highly recommend you give that interview a listen. Anyways, let's hear from Lucy about what she'll be teaching there. I'm teaching an overview of legal operations. And what uh, what that means is really kind of dissecting it into about it's 10 modules, and each module addresses kind of one of the key, you know, f- capabilities or functions that really are all under the umbrella of of legal ops. And, and legal ops is such a big topic and it gets, I think, confused where yes, it's a profession or a career, um, but really it's it's uh, just such a combination of so many so many different pieces and at every company it looks different because it depends what they're interested in. So for example, one module is on spend management. Uh, another, another module will be on project management. It's a kind of a high level overview of um, of each one. It's intended really for people who aren't in legal ops, but hopefully for some of the curious lawyers out there who are wondering what is all this about? Because <laughs> they're hearing about it, I'm sure, in, in the legal news. Well, it sounds like it'd be well worth taking the class. So Lucy, appreciate your time. If people want to get a hold of you, how do they do so? Um, the easiest thing is probably to look me up on LinkedIn uh, or shoot me an email, lucy.bosley at inalegalservices.com uh, or, or LinkedIn is always great as well. Well, that's a wrap. We hope you liked it. If you want to subscribe, you can check us out on pretty much any major podcasting platform such as iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, etc., etc. If you like us enough, maybe even give us a five-star rating. If you want to get a hold of me, you can shoot me an email at cmain at percipient.co. That's C-M-A-I-N at percipient.co. Thanks again for listening. We hope you tune in next time. This has been another episode of Technically Legal.